The Blacks and Whites Network proudly presents Catherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. Hi, this is Catherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. You know, October is Energy Action Month, a time of year when we turn our attention toward energy conservation to inspire, affect change in our communities. The U.S. Army Reserve is leading the charge to reduce energy consumption and build resilience on base, at work, and in their homes. Here to talk about the Army Reserve's expertise in energy and water resilience, along with tips and tricks we can all use to reduce our energy footprint, is Colonel Martin Naranjo. And and also, uh, he is the Director of the Army Installation Management Directorate. Uh, Welcome to our show, and thank you for your service, Colonel. No, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Tell us why is Energy Action Month important to the Army Reserve? Thank you. Sure, Energy Action Month is important because it helps us communicate how critical energy is to the mission readiness of the Army Reserve. Really, think about it. Energy touches every aspect of our lives, you know, and it's no different for the Army Reserve and our mission, from the electricity that powers our facilities to the fuel that powers our vehicles. And I think everyone can relate to the disruption the lack of energy causes to individual lives. For the military, it's tenfold. I think a lack of energy could disrupt our force and, 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 and make it very hard for us to execute our mission. So what we need are trying to do is make resilient facilities. And uh, I wanted to point out that this year's theme for Energy Action Month is energy resilience, sustain the mission, and secure the force. Wow. What are some energy conservation solutions the Army Reserve has in place, Colonel Rano? Yeah, we do a, we do a lot of complex projects that that um, and we start from very big things, right? You know, and, and but there are some small things we do too, and I'll cover all those. The first thing is like implementing microgrid systems with battery storage and renewable energy sources that power our critical facilities. And the idea there is that we need to make sure that some of our critical facilities stay online and there are they are not impacted by extreme events, things like tornadoes or hurricanes or wildfires. And we need to be able to operate our mission. You know, part of that is, in that microgrid, is renewable resources oftentimes. And that might be, um, you know, uh, solar panels or, or different types of tur- wind turbines and uh, otherwise. And, uh, and those are very costly, high-tech things that we do. But we also do some small stuff in order to conserve um, energy and make our facilities more resilient. Little things like reducing the loads within our facilities. So we need less battery, less solar panels, and that's uh, and what we do in our older facilities, especially, is swap out old light systems for LEDs. Huge cost savings on the long run on our energy bills in the Army Reserve. Um, we also do enterprise building control systems, which control our HVAC systems. That when reserve soldiers are not there during the week, we're able to set back certain parts of the building, um, or you know, and it reduces our energy bill for keeping that that um, that facility cool or warm. And then the last thing we do is advanced metering, where we monitor our facilities, our water usage, our energy usage, and with that, we're able to sometimes even fix problems we see. Hey, if we have a water leak and, uh, and it, you know, we're losing a lot of money in water and impacting the, the local community by just wasting water, we're able to get in there, identify it, and fix it. So, so those are some of the things we do for energy conservation, big and small. During the winter time, when it gets really cold, and we have a lot of snowstorms and whatever, what do you do, um, especially on the weekends when they're there, when your troops are there? Yeah, when we're there, of course, we're making sure our facilities are operating properly so they could serve them. You know, and, and, you know, 
I always say one of the key components in our facility is our HVAC system, whether it's in winter or when it's cold, and we need to make sure that, that the facility is operating for their mission. Or in the summer, you know, if, if you're in a hot, humid place, that that, that that facility is operating and it's not creating an issue that can lead to other problems, right? So for us, it's just maintaining and making sure our systems are taken care of so they run efficiently and they're able to operate so our soldiers can utilize those facilities. What tips do you have to help my listeners incorporate energy conservation into their daily lives at home and at work? Sure, yeah. And, you know, our reserve centers are part of the community. Everyone can make a difference. And uh, there's some things that your listeners could do that we do that are kind of small. You know, things like turning off lights in rooms when they're not in use. In our newer facilities, we install um, switches that have uh, motion detection, and that automatically turns off a switch in that office if it's not being used. I've installed some of those in my house. Sometimes you have that funny room down the basement that uh, that your child may always leave on type of thing, and it, when it's not in use, that it'll turn it off. That that might be something that listeners could do. Um, you know, turning um, some of your devices into power savings mode. You know, we do that in our systems within our facilities, and we always buy you know Energy Star certified rated projects products that type of thing. That's something simple that your listeners could do if they're replacing systems. Or, and simply on the TV, running it on energy-efficient mode could save a lot of electricity. Um, we, we do, we talk, I talked about the enterprise building control systems, smart systems that, you know, turn back HVAC systems within our facilities. While your users could actually install, you know, smart thermostats that when, that, uh, when the listener is uh, out of their home, you know, or it may be set to back and they save, get some energy savings. And then the biggest thing, honestly, that I've seen, it makes the biggest impact for us is just, as I mentioned before, switching out from uh, old lighting systems to the more modern LEDs. There's a lot of great options that are very affordable. And like us, you know, you know, we're thinking about the cost of it, and there needs to be a payback on this. And we try to make sure that we're installing systems that, that are affordable and that are going to make a difference. And because, you know, we're stewards of the taxpayers' dollars. And I know that your listeners are trying to save money also and, you know, and trying to get those cost savings on the energy bill. So some of these systems work, but, you know, definitely looking at, at the possibility, and these are just some of them. Right. And during tornadoes and things like that, um, you know, people yeah. have people have no energy at all. Yeah. And, um, for, for you know, so... That would be something, especially, you know, the people that have just, you know, lost lives in whatever in Florida. Is yeah. there something that they can do to prepare for ne- whatever happens next by putting in maybe a generator or other things, sir? Yep. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, and it goes back to uh, some of the larger things we do, you know, the backup systems that we have. They could be renewable. They could not be. And sometimes, oftentimes, uh, it depends on what the best outside energy source is. So we have generators there. And definitely um, uh, listeners, you know, who want to have a backup system for their homes, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. options they could look at and, uh, and different ways to get after it depending on the part of the country. Right. right. And I've even seen, you know, um, actually, uh, you know, out on farms and stuff, they have windmills. And that are because, you know, we can't afford maybe one of the big, you know, windmills that uh, a lot of the different companies make in in different areas. But, you know, I've seen water. I've seen electricity. I've spent a winter in a very cold place where they had it, and I didn't freeze to death. So anyhow, but, you know, how can our audience get more information about opportunities in the Army Reserve and what they're doing to conserve energy? You know, I, I, I recommend your audience uh, go and visit our website, usar.army.mil. 
And, Do uh, that again, sir. USAR.army.mil. And uh, if they visit that site, if they visit that okay. site, they could learn a lot about the Armed Reserve, first off. And, um, and there's a lot of information about what we do in the Armed Reserve and our mission and, and where we're at. And uh, right now, there's a splash page for Energy Action Month. And if you click on that link in the splash page, it's going to take you to a, a second page that has lots of resources that we've collected from different places that has ideas for your listeners that I've covered here today, among others. And it has more information on what we're doing in the Armed Reserve for Energy Action. Like I want to say before, thank you for your service and thank you for helping for us in America and all over the world. Um, couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate your support. And we'll be right back after these important messages on Catherine Raker's Let's Just Talk. We'll be right back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Catherine Raker. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers was created to serve veterans who deal with the lack of sleep due to their injuries. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides a free MP3 player for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. To learn how you can help, go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us to help a veteran make it through the night. We're back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Raker. Hi, this is Katherine Raker of Let's Just Talk. You know, there's a common condition that affects more than half of men above the age of 60. We're going to learn about the symptoms of enlarged prostate and a non-surgical treatment to provide relief. Today, our guest is... Dr. Rahul Meehan. He's the East Valley Urology Center of Arizona. I want to welcome you to our show, uh, doctor. And like I said before the show, this is something that's very important to me. And I think this new uh, uh, water vapor, resume water vapor therapy is going to be exciting for a lot of men to know about. So welcome to our show. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. It's an honor for me to have you. What is in a large prostate for people that don't know, and how com is, common is this condition? Well, the prostate is a small gland located right below the neck of the bladder and is part of the male reproductive system. The urethra, which carries urine from the bladder outside the body, runs right through the middle of the prostate gland. And a healthy prostate gland is approximately the shape and size of a walnut. And as men age, the prostate grows. And this is a very common process. And we call this benign prostatic hyperplasia or BPH or in a large prostate. This causes the prostate to press against the urethra, causing chronic and sometimes troublesome lower urinary tract symptoms that can severely affect the quality of life of men. It is extremely common by the age of 60, 50% of men are suffering from symptoms of an enlarged prostate. What are some of the common symptoms of an enlarged prostate, uh, doctor? 
Oh, these are the these are the the uh, what you think of when you think of older men or as men age. But even younger guys can start experiencing changes. And these are waking up several times a night to urinate, having a weak, interrupted urine stream, a difficult time starting or stopping your flow, feeling a sudden urge to urinate, not being sure your bladder is empty, and dribbling at the end of your stream. And they can start out as mild symptoms, gradual symptoms, and they can progress to the point where, where guys become, you know, like they're the last man standing at a urinal. It becomes an issue that severely affects their quality of life. What are some, or what are available treatment options for an enlarged prostate, doctor? There are several treatment options for an enlarged prostate, depending on the amount of discomfort you're in, your age, your health, the size of your prostate, and your post-procedural expectations. And traditionally, most men start out with behavioral modifications, such as drinking less caffeine, uh, limiting how much they take in before they go to bed. Uh, but when that's not enough, the next step traditionally has been medications. And, and people have started medications and they work to a degree, and, but they may not work for everyone. And they can require consistent use and have undesirable side effects, including sexual dysfunction and dizziness. We have traditional surgical options, which are effective options for men who qualify, but this approach may include side effects like difficulty emptying the bladder, urinary leakage, and again, sexual dysfunction. And what's been exciting in the world of urology is that it's been a renaissance of new technology. We now have minimally office-based procedures, such as resume water vapor therapy, that can offer a long-lasting benefit with less traditional side effects and men can preserve sexual function and be treated for an enlarged prostate. And that's why I'm here today. I'm, I'm working in collaboration with Boston Scientific to discuss resume water vapor therapy. Well, let's talk about water vapor therapy because, and a lot of men don't wanna hear it from their wives or anybody else, but it's important, I think, especially for some of the side effects that you hear from medication. And a lot of men stop taking their medication, right, doctor? Oh yeah, one out of five men will will discontinue their their BPH medication in the first year because of the side effects. It's not necessarily something that a lot of patients want to even start. They just want to go right to a treatment. And as urologists, we can offer them that. Um, it's it's been a a game changer having these office based procedures to treat a large prostates. So. Basically, tell us a little bit about what Resume Water Vapor Therapy is and how it works. Great. So this is a minimally invasive in-office procedure to treat in a large prostate, not just the symptoms. It uses water vapor to reduce the size of the prostate. Um, it works by using the energy stored in water vapor or steam to remove excess prostate tissue that is pressing on the urethra. It's basically like the prostate is a donut just sitting around the urethra. And as, as it gets bigger, it's, it's, it's prohibiting the flow through it. And what this does is I can target where steam is deployed and open the inner part of the donut so men can urinate much more easily. Is it painful? Not at all. I don't feel a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, listen, when you mention it, guys sometimes back away from it thinking, well, this is going to hurt. I'm not doing this. Yeah, so that's, that's, I'll tell you, only, 
only 2% of men that have severe symptoms get treated because 98% of them are too scared of the unknown. But we have ways to make this safe and effective and tolerable. And it's different for everybody. Some people have a little more pain in procedures and some people don't, but you know, we can offer this in the office. We have ways to give anesthesia. So the actual event is not that painful. Um, mm -hmm. Recovery, there is recovery and, and potential side effects during recovery, including painful or frequent urination, blood in the urine, urgent need to urinate. But these side effects are typically mild to moderate and resolve within a few weeks. Okay, so how long does the procedure take, doctor? Um, it's a quick procedure. So when you when you have that steam that goes into the prostate, we do it through these nine second treatments and, and a typical patient will need four to six of those nine second treatments. It's all done in one session. It's just one office visit and it's done, but it's, it's pretty quick. It's in and out. Have you had a lot of people want uh, anesthesia and do you have, do you just block the area or do they go to sleep or what do they do? I offer all the options and, you know, <laughs> I have some patients that want to go to sleep and be totally out and we can do that. And I have other patients that, you know, we, we do a block and we use uh, NAMI medications and, and it's very well tolerable to them. And it's, it's case by case. And, you know, I would encourage you to see your urologist and, and go through all the options to, you know, how, how it's performed. Uh, so I think that this is very interesting new. I love this idea because if it can make people feel better and not have to worry about it, I think that's great. Do you have a video on it by any chance? Yeah, check out their website, resume.com, R-E-Z-U-M, and it's really well put together. They have videos on it. They'll have a section on what is resume, patient stories, a link to find a doctor, and a quiz where you can put in your own symptoms and, and see how severe it tr they truly are. And um, I think, you know, if, if you get anything out of this today, this talk, is go online and, and, and spend some time and check out their website. Well, I'm going to encourage everybody I know, including my sons, one that lives in Arizona, that this is really important. So I'm not shy about medicine at all. So anyhow, thank you. You know, I, I am so happy that you went through this with us today because I think it's going to encourage men that do have an enlarged prostate, that they really can benefit from this new procedure. Thank you so much for joining me. Give that website out one more time. And where can people find you, doctor? Well, check out resume.com, R-E-Z-U-M.com. And I'm in Arizona. I'm just a urologist. And, and you know, I, all urologists know about this condition. And I would encourage you to find a urologist that offers resume in your area. And uh, uh, yeah, let's get, let's, get, let's get men fixed. Let's help them. That's great. And thank you so much for joining me today on Catherine Rager's Let's Just Talk. Thanks, oh, Doc. Thank you. We'll be right back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Catherine Rager. Every now and again, we get a great book to read. But how about having three great books at the same time by the same author? This is what we have in the Master Storytellers Bundle with Sad Eyes, which is a story of an unlikely hero, a woman who rose to the occasion during World War II, and finding the love of her life. Also, the bundle has two historical volumes of Abraham Lincoln, the second assassin. Just when you thought you'd heard everything, read everything, knew everything. 
you have no idea how this one is going to end. Now available at hollismedia.net. For your convenience, buy now, pay later. Use the Afterpay system. That's at hollismedia.net. That's hollismedia.net. This is a great gift for reading enthusiasts. Check it out at hollismedia.net and click on the bundle. We're back. You're listening to Let's Just Talk with Katherine Riker. It's really important since this is breast, October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, what women need to know about breast density. Learn how women with dense breasts are at higher risk for breast cancer and why breast screening is so important. I want to welcome to our show today, Dr. David Schacht and Dr. Pamela Habib. Welcome to our show today. I'm very excited about talking about this because I have a lot of friends that unfortunately have died of breast cancer uh, and how important it is to, to definitely have mammograms, but also what's the difference between, uh, you know, getting a mammogram, what is breast density and how does it impact breast cancer risk? You want to start off with that, um, Dr. Habib? Absolutely. Thank you, Catherine. Um, and that's a great question. And it's a question that a lot of people are not aware of or don't know the answer to. Um, but breast density, when we talk about that term, uh, we are referring to a, uh, something that is seen on a mammogram. So it's not something that a woman can just feel her breast and know that she has dense breast. But once a mammogram is done, um, we, as radiologists, we can see fatty tissue and we can see dense tissue. And um, that the dense tissue is the more there is, the more dense that we call the breast. And that's really the fibroglandular tissue of the breast. Um, but the reason why this is important is because uh, the dense tissue appears white on a mammogram and so do tumors. So a tiny cancer could be hidden in that tissue. So dense, the more dense the breast is, the harder it is to identify small cancers on a mammogram. Additionally, having dense breasts automatically puts a woman at a higher risk of developing breast cancer, separate of the fact that it's harder to identify cancers on the mammogram. So it's really a twofold or, um, effect, uh, but it's important to know that this is a normal finding and that nearly half of women over age 40 have dense breasts. So it's not something to be alarmed about. It's something that just could generate additional conversations with your healthcare provider. Dr. Uh, Schacht, tell me, uh, men have breast cancer too. Uh, there's the basic, um, a lot of men uh, have, you know, say an abnormal breast and can they have, can they have breast density as well? Yeah, Catherine, uh, breast cancer in men is, is comparatively rare and often um, occurs in men who have um, a genetic predisposition um, or a known family history. Um, dense breast is not really something that's been studied extensively in men. Um, certainly men can get mammograms when they have an area of concern such as a, you know, a palpable mass in their breasts. Um, but the sort of important aspects of breast density that we, we know about in women are, are not really um, studied that way in, in men. Um, and really it's important that um, women who have uh, known breast density have these conversations with their doctors to figure out 
um, exactly for them uh, what makes most sense from a sort of personalized medicine point of view. The other thing I want to ask you, Dr. David, is that uh, a lot of women um, have, you know, because of their relatives or mothers, whatever, may have dense breast and also are younger than age 40. Should they require, ask their doctors to give them a mammogram if there is a history of breast cancer in their families? Yeah, Catherine, that's, that's a great question. And uh, more and more society, medical societies are recommending that women, all women and women younger than the age of 40, especially um, for women who maybe have a family history of uh, relatives with breast cancer at young ages, get something called a clinical risk assessment. Um, and there are lots of different tools that can be used to assess whether or not um, mammograms or other tests earlier than the standard age of 40 might make sense for that individual patient. Um, so really talking to your regular doctor about a, a clinical risk assessment is the best way to go on that. Well, you know, it's really important, um, actually, Dr. Habib, that um, you understand basically what um, you need to do if you do have uh, dense breast and Actually, are mammograms enough to detect dense breast cancer? So mammograms, um, they although that's that's the gold standard, so that's the um, the test that is recommended as a baseline screening for those that qualify for um, breast cancer screening. However, um, as I mentioned previously, it is hard to identify cancers in a mammogram with, with dense breast. So mammograms can miss up to forty percent of cancers in women with dense breast. Uh, and that's why it's important to have a conversation with your health provider of whether additional testing might make sense. And that, that determination can be made based on additional risk factors that may be present. Uh, but some of the other tests that can be done include a breast ultrasound, which uses sound waves uh, to take additional pictures of the inside of the breast. Uh, there's a newer technology called contrast enhanced mammography, and that's basically a standard mammogram um, however, they also inject a special dye into the vein to, to take additional pictures of the, the vessel. Um, and then breast MRI is another alternative that's frequently done using radio waves and magnets. Um, so all of those tests can produce additional images that can help evaluate women with dense breasts. And Dr. Schacht, if a woman has dense breasts, does she need supplemental imaging beyond a mammogram, which, you know, Dr. Dr. Habib just said, and what if their doctor doesn't want to do it? Then what do you do? Uh, that, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, you can always uh, explore talking to um, those in those breast radiologists who are physicians who have read um, your mammograms to talk to, to them about um, your breast density and what they see um, in their practice works best for helping women with um, dense breasts, both understand um, the the risks associated with dense breasts, but also understanding that this is a normal thing that occurs in many women, um, and really uh, helping them be as empowered as, as possible with that information to make the best decisions for them. Um, I'd also suggest that they can go online to a resource called densebreastresources.com uh, just to have more information uh, maybe outside of that um, to think about breast density and maybe uh, come up with some tips to talking to their healthcare providers about their thoughts and understanding of 
breast density and what it might mean for their screening needs. And Dr. Huffey, the last question is, if you don't understand what the doctor has to say about, say for instance, your uh, mammogram, um, you know, a lot of times they put notes in, in your, your healthcare thing. And if you don't feel comfortable with that person, should you get a second opinion? That's a great question, Catherine. Um, I think the, the terminology can be confusing, and now with the, the days of portals and access to, to medical reports, um, there there can be times where you don't fully understand what's written in your report. Um, I'd say it's best to start with the physician who ordered the test, who is the one that um, reviews the results, and if they have any questions, I believe they would call the radiologist ahead of time to get those questions answered. So they're really the best person to start with um, if there's something to in the report, and they can also reach out to the radiologist for further clarification. Um, if after that, if you're still not happy or you feel that something has not been explained well, I mean, obviously, discussions with other health providers could potentially um, help, but I think it's best to start with questions and have an open discussion and see if your healthcare provider can help you reach the, uh, the providers that can provide the answers to your questions. I want to thank you both for joining me today. And Dr. Schacht, would you like to give that website out again? Sure, will do. That is densebreastresources.com for more information on breast density. Thank you both for joining me today on Catherine Raker's Let's Just Talk. Thank you so much. And we'll get the message out for you, definitely. So important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Katherine Ricker's Let's Just Talk on the Blacks and Whites Network.